Hi. Um, today the scripture reading is from second, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you've got your Bible or a Bible app on your device, we'd encourage you to turn there. While you do that, my name is Rob Kronk. My wife is Melanie. We live in Washington, and uh, we've got three grown children, six grandchildren, and um, we started coming to Cross Point last year. Okay, the, uh, again, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all of the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Rob. So we're in week five of a new series as we work our way through the book of Acts. If you missed a week along the way, I encourage you to listen online or watch online as we track along with the story of Acts. So last week, at a, uh, I was at a family wedding that I took my dad to, and I was making small talk with a cousin who I hadn't seen for 15-plus years. And one of the questions I asked him was, where do you go to church? I've asked that question to others in conversation. Uh, you might have as well. But as, as I was driving home that night, uh, one thought I had in reflection was, I don't like that question. I don't like the question I ask. I don't like how I phrased it. I don't like what it implies. Now, we all get the idea, as he did, of what I'm asking in that question. I'm asking, are you connected to a local church, and if so, where? But I think I'm done asking that question. I think I'm done asking, where do you go to church? Instead, I want to use better language, such as, what church do you belong to? What church family are you engaged in life with? What church do you call home? Semantics and word choice matter in some things, and I think they matter in this one. I think the question of where do you go to church implies a consumeristic engagement in the local church, equating it to where you go to eat, where you go get your coffee, where you get your groceries. And a consumerist approach to life in the church is not the way of the New Testament church. It's most certainly often the way of the American church, but heaven's sakes, that's not our model, is it? We want to be a church formed and founded in the scriptures. We want to be more than just casual tenders every so often looking for a spiritual shot in the arm on a Sunday morning. We want to be the church for the glory of God and the good of those around us. Becky and Bailey did a great job in forming and in creating these, these t-shirts for our 20-year anniversary. We still have lots of, lots of shirts, so you can talk to Becky if you are desperate for some merch in your closet, okay? But my favorite is this one. Devoted, dedicated, driven, the simplicity of be the church. I love the message. I think it's a good way to sum up how the brothers and sisters in Christ that we read up here in the book of Acts, how they saw life in the church. It wasn't just let's go to church, but let's be the church. Does that imply that we don't go somewhere sometimes to gather like we are? No, it doesn't imply that. We go, we gather, but in the same breath, it's more than just this gathering. 
It's a way of life and how the church lives together. Crosspoint, we have been and are in an encouraging season of ministry here. The Lord is at work in some really hopeful and promising ways. Some of you have started to engage in life here in the past four years. You're not staying on the fringe, but you're leaning in. You're not going to church, but you're seeking to be the church. Same is true for many of you who've been here for years. 2019 was a sending out year with Redeemer being planted. 2020 was all things extra. 2021, close to it. And the Lord's faithfulness has been seen through all of it, through all of you. Evidences of his grace abound right now. The Lord is causing the growth. It isn't all perfect, though, right? We're making progress, but anytime there's growth and new birth, there's pain and discomfort. Even amidst the really beautiful and miraculous things such as growth or new life, there's a realization that there is much work to be done. Can you imagine this moment in Acts 2? Prior to Pentecost, the church was at 120. They could all fit in the same room together. They knew one another's names. Peter wasn't saying at the end of a prayer, se- prayer session, now now go introduce yourself to someone you don't know. But they're like, we know everybody. There's only 120 of us. And then the Holy Spirit came. Peter preached the good news of Jesus. The Spirit was at work. People responded. The church grew by over 3,000. Can you imagine how chaotic that was? You only have 12 apostles. Matthias being the newbie, thinking, Did the, are you sure the lot got cast to me? Are you sure? And now you have all these new believers who have repented and been baptized, and they, along with 120, they're needing love, care, discipleship, training, support, encouragement, equipping. There's so much beauty amidst the Spirit's work, and at the same time, you know it wasn't clean and orderly. Comparing it to a vine, that new Spirit-led vine was growing rapidly all over the place, and the garden needed tending. It needed care. It needed direction. And so how did the church live? How did these 3,000-plus siblings in Christ, those who have known one another for years and those who have just gotten to know one another, how did the church be the church? In today's passage, we get a glimpse into that answer. We get some descriptions of their habits, what they were committed to, how they cared for each other. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. The church in Acts was not a perfect church. We will see that as we make our way through this book. And we are not free of sin, this side of heaven, so perfection won't be ours, but we will make progress because the Father's great love for us, the Son's perfect atoning sacrifice for us, the Spirit's resurrection power empowering us. This is a passage that we've probably looked at a lot in the last 20 years. It's a familiar one for many. The challenge with familiarity is we lose a sense of awe about it. We assume, yeah, 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 we got it. Can we just get to the next next thing? But loved ones, may we see the simple beauty of the church being the church in this passage, how the people of God live together with Jesus at the center of that community. One thing I love about this passage, the picture of the New Testament church, is that it translates to any context, any culture, any point in history, including this one. It translates to Acts 2. It translates to here amidst the fields and small towns in North America. So if you've been here for 20 years or two weeks or somewhere in between, if you feel at home or you're feeling on the outside, if you're a child, student, or adult, if you're single, married, if you're highly engaged here or if you've drifted from engagement and you're kind of sitting on the edge of the pool, if you've been following Jesus for decades or maybe you're newer in your faith, 
loved ones, let's hear from the Lord through his word. Let's be led by the Spirit as we seek to be the church. Let's remember the context that we are in, the lead-up to today's section. Peter preached the first public message of the church to the crowd that had gathered after hearing and seeing the, the visible and powerful manifestations of the Spirit being poured out. Peter warns the people of future judgment, reminds them there's hope, though, hope for all who call on the name of the Lord for salvation. Peter walks the crowd through Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. Here is who Jesus is. And then we pick it up in verse 36 as Peter is bringing the message to a close. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted this message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. A church is born. A new people are being formed, brought out of the darkness of sin and brought into the light and love of the Lord Jesus. And a new people are together, and they're confessing that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah, that he is their good and loving authority, who they are bowed down to in worship, and because he's good, they're going to entrust their lives to him. They're also declaring that Jesus is their rescuer. He is the one who laid down his life for them, so now they are no longer going to live for themselves, but for him who rose again for them. Multitudes of people are baptized, publicly identifying with the burial and the resurrection of Christ, publicly being baptized into a family, and this new faith-filled devotion to Jesus is leading to a new way of life. I have eight descriptions I want us to see from this passage and how they are being the church. Habits they're committed to, patterns that marked their life together, and they're all interwoven together, like, like multiple strands of one rope or multiple threads of the same fabric, all weaved together, interwoven, not siloed or separated off. So verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Devoted themselves, meaning they persisted in, they continued in. The idea in the original language is single-minded to a certain course of action, single-minded and focused on these habits and activities. The first is the apostles' teaching. Remember, the apostles had been with Jesus. They're eyewitnesses of his life, his resurrection. They were qualified to pass on the teaching of Jesus and the scriptures to others. They were seeking to pass on what was trustworthy, what was timeless. They were going to be rooted in the truth of God's word. Doctrine matters. What we believe matters. What we teach matters. A healthy community of faith is devoted to teaching the truth of God's word. Why does that, why does that matter? Why does, it, why does it matter that we believe certain things or teach? Why does it matter what we teach? Well, it's because we live out of those convictions. What we teach forms the foundation, the cornerstone, if you will, of the house that we are building. And if we get the cornerstone wrong, if we get the foundation wrong, and the house gets sideways. The, high, the house ends up falling. Remember the commission that Jesus gave to his, his apostles in, in Matthew 28. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them 
in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and remember I'm with you always to the end of the age. The, the commission isn't just to make converts of Jesus. If so, then this text in Acts 2, it stops at verse 41. It stops there. And we get no description of their new life together. But the disciples of Jesus then and now need to be devoted to the teaching of Jesus and the Scriptures because that's at the heart of our disciple-making mission. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. To be the church is to be alongside one another as we are formed and transformed by the living and active word. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. The idea in the original language is that of commonness or commonality, a, a sharing of life with one another. So fellowship is more than just being in physical presence with one another. Fellowship is more than just small talk. It includes those, but it doesn't stop there. Fellowship is sharing. It's face-to-face. -face. It's costly. Sharing of material things with one another as, as well as sharing of our lives with brothers and sisters. It will cost you your time. It will affect your calendar. It will cost you your money. It will cost you your pride. Meaning, there's a vulnerability to our sharing. Being vulnerable with one another where we're struggling, where we're hurting, where we need counsel, prayer, encouragement, where we need others to speak truth and love to us and where we're struggling in sin. Fellowship is not just one-sided either. It's mutual. It's back and forth. It's other-oriented. So we don't step into a physical presence like this with the church thinking, who's going to talk to me? Who's going to love me? Who's going to pursue me? Instead, we walk in and think, who can I love like Jesus? With other-oriented, initiating eyes. Who will I seek to comfort in the same way that the God of all comfort has strengthened and comforted me? Who will I seek to build up with my words of grace or show love to, to be active in our community engagement and not passive? It makes perfect sense that the church was devoted to fellowship because they were seeking to live out the teaching of Jesus, who told them in John 13, 34, and 35, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. To be the church is to be alongside one another with the intent to love one another like Jesus well. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. So this is both communion and meals with one another. The church, the early church often combined these into the same gathering. So there is something sweet and unifying when together we eat the bread, drink the juice like we will today. When we remember Jesus' selfless sacrifice upon the cross and his benefit and the salvation of others, it helps us. It stirs up this unity that we have in Christ. It stirs up a worship of the Lord. And there's also something very sweet and unifying when we are around tables sharing a meal on this property as well as in your homes, in restaurants and coffee shops, in backyards. Some of the more significant moments I've had with siblings in Christ have been around a table, asking one another good questions, sharing of our lives with each other, tears being shed, hearts that are being opened, prayers that are being offered for one another. A breaking of bread with one another, it slows our pace. And that's a good thing. 
It reminds us of the goodness of God to provide for us not only the food, but the people who are around the table. To be the church is to be alongside one another, remembering the cross and remembering that we are joined together by nothing of this earth, but by Jesus alone. They devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer was not an afterthought. It was central to their life. We saw that prayer was central to the 120 in Acts 1. We see that continuing now with thousands in the church. To pray is to confess a dependence upon the Lord. To pray alongside brothers and sisters is to confess our shared dependence, our shared trust in our forever faithful God. Again, prayer being central to the early church shouldn't surprise us because they're following the teachings of Jesus, who taught the disciples to pray. For instance, in Luke 6, Jesus says, he gives them a model prayer. Therefore, you should pray like this. And he, he lays out this model. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Notice how the, the plural nature of that prayer. It's not fierce individualism. It's fierce community. We are praying our Father in heaven. And we are confessing and, and praying together as the people of God. When we gather on Sunday mornings, one goal I have is to pray with at least one person before I walk out. I have that goal not because I am paid by the church. Like it's not in my job description. I do that because I'm a member of the body of Christ. I'm alongside one another in the gathering. I love the moments before or after this gathering where I see you pausing to pray for someone, putting your hand on their shoulder, offering a prayer on behalf of the brother or sister. How beautiful that is to see, how strengthening that is to our fellowship and to our faith. Let's grow in that. Not just at this gathering, but here, as well as in our community groups and the, the teams we serve with and as a way of life. Not just pastor to people, but people to people. Brother and sister, sibling to sibling, member of the body to member of the body. This is one anothering in the New Testament. Breaking of bread and prayer are examples of how we live out this fellowship with one another. That's us being the church living out our love for the Lord and our love for others. Then verse 43, he starts to walk through four more habits or patterns the church was committed to and that were descriptions of their family. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. So there was a spirit-empowered awe among the church and its ministry. Signs and wonders were associated with the apostles' ministry. We'll see that throughout our journey through Acts including in next week's passage. The wonders were verifying the truthfulness, the authenticity of the apostles' message, that they were not magicians using human tricks, but it was the Spirit of God at work through their ministry. And they were never the ones to be praised, but it was always the God who was doing the work to be praised behind it. The apostles were following in the line of Jesus, whose, whose ministry was marked by both powerful word and deed. On week one of this series, we talked about how the book of Acts is a record of the works of the Son of God through the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. So it's natural to assume that divine activity and power will be associated with the church. Pastor Kent Hughes said this, 
In the early church, there was a sense of holiness much like that which the children of Israel had when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. Awe in the presence of Almighty God. May we be people who grow in our view of the awe of our God, the awesomeness of who He is, His unchanging character, His goodness, that the same God who is at work in Acts 2 is the same God at work in our lives, in our church, in our communities. To be the church is to live in awe of our all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God. Verses 44 and 45, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. There was a generous love amidst the church. Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. This is the church living the commands of Jesus out as it relates to our stuff. They're living close enough with each other, vulnerable with each other enough, where they actually know the needs of one another. Again, this is an example of their fellowship that they are devoted to. Now, this is not communism or socialism. This generosity or commonality is not compelled. It's not forced upon them. This is voluntary. This is out of the overflow of hearts that are being transformed, that have been transformed by the love of Jesus. This is also not the abolishment of all personal property. Some still owned homes or rented homes where they could gather, where they could break bread. This is not legalism or man-made law. This is a generous love that is freely, voluntarily, sacrificially given. This is simply, my brother and sister in Christ has a need. I, as brother and sister in Christ, have a way to meet that need tangibly. Okay, I'll seek to love them like Jesus who gave of himself. And I'll give of myself and my stuff, trusting the words of Jesus in Matthew 6.32, that our Father in heaven knows what we need. And so we can never outgive the Father. That as we scatter seed generously, the Father will supply the seed. It's an example of the church living out 1 John 3, 16 through 18. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. As a church, we, if you want to talk about formal ways that we live this out, one is through what we call a family fund. This is a, a fund for those who are cross-point attenders and members to be able to help and serve those in financial need or in a financial crisis. We also give dollars to Heartline Heart, Heart House, which is a local ministry here. They have an existing system to distribute benevolence dollars to those in need in our county. And so recently, on an annual basis, Roughly, we gave $6,000 to them to distribute those. We don't need to duplicate that system. That system is in place, and so we want to love one another well in that way. Those are formal ways we live this out. But far more than formal, it gets lived out informally by the body of Christ, the family of God, just doing what the Lord has called us to, living out 1 John 3, living out because he's first so greatly loved us, so we love one another. To be the church is to generously love one another, not just in word, but in action, in truth, in deed. Verse 46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. To be the church is to live it 
as a way of life. It wasn't a compartment, but all of life. It wasn't just, well, we do this from 10 to 11 on Sundays or during these evening hours at a community group. No, it was daily. They devoted themselves to living lives formed and centered on Jesus. So they met together in large groups. They also met house to house around tables and in living rooms. Fellowship and life with one another was weaved through their daily life. And such fellowship was marked by joy and genuineness. Listen to uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to provoke one another, or to provoke love and good works, not, de- not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. When we are with one another here, for example, in our groups, it's an opportunity to stir up our love, stir up our desire for good works, to encourage one another in the faith, to, to have in view the second coming of Christ and live in light of that reality. To be the church, to be with one another in all of life. And then second half of verse 47, every day the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church lived on mission to show and tell of who Jesus is and what he has done. And so you have their way of life. Their love for one another, their hospitality, generosity, other-orientedness, the awe associated with their ministry, it had an outward witness, a showing to the world. By their love, they were revealing that they were disciples and followers of Jesus. They were also telling of Jesus, not just through formal means of Peter standing up to proclaim a message, but informally, one another, neighbor to neighbor. The church is on a mission to be witnesses from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. The Lord is causing the growth as they show and tell. I love this reminder that the Lord was adding to the number. It was the Lord who had gathered the 120. It was the Lord who had saved 3,000 after Peter preached. The Lord is building his church, and he continues to build his church. To be the church is to be on mission, not in our strength, but being led and empowered by the Spirit, Spirit Spirit-empowered teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer, Spirit-empowered awe and generous love, a daily way of life, on a mission to show and tell of Jesus. A picture is being painted here, loved ones, a picture of the church being the church. At Crosspoint, we exist to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus who live devoted to him, dedicated to one another, and driven to reach people, and we live that out together. Frankly, it's kind of an unoriginal mission statement because we're just taking it from the Bible. It's just semantics. It's loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving one another, loving our neighbor, and going and making disciples. We're not trying to reinvent what the Lord has already made simple and straightforward. Rather, we're trying to faithfully and prayerfully follow in the teachings, the commission, the commandments of Jesus. This is what a New Testament church does from the book of Acts until now. 20 years ago when we planted, we we chose to put community in the name of the church because we saw it as an integral part of a New Testament church. And we still do, believe it or not. This gathering... Sun Chasers, Hype, C20, this rhythm of large group and small group. It's not either or, it's both and. As it relates to community groups, there are some really encouraging things taking place. New groups have formed, new groups are forming. Most existing groups are continuing. Those that have been disconnected from a group, many are stepping back in. Our overall engagement in groups has gone up. In the same breath, amidst growth, there is some pain and stretching. Most of our groups are pretty big, making it difficult to 
fit into a home or easily get around tables. Maybe some of you are wondering if you fit in a group or not, or you're like, I was part of a group, and then they, then they stopped meeting, and I'm not sure what to do next, or we were in a community group years ago, and then our stage of life has changed, and so we've kind of drifted from a deeper relational engagement. Or you were in a group, and you're forming friendships, and now you're in a new group, and you're like, am I going to connect with these people? And since Acts 2, the church has had to hold two things in tension with one another. You could call them inward and outward. The inward community the church has with one another and the outward reach in its disciple-making mission to its neighbors. And this tension is one to manage, not solve. If you solve it and you only focus on one, you, you focus on this and forget the other, you're no longer a New Testament church. You've forgotten the commands of Jesus because you are seeking to only love one another within the family and forget the world or you're only concerned about reaching and making disciples and not loving one another well. So the tension of inward and outward is not to be resolved, but prayed through. We want to be spirit-led people walking by faith in the season that we are in. Praise God for the growth that he's causing in and through his church. Praise God for the stretching, the moving out of comfort zones that growth does in us. It causes us to trust in the Lord, to confess our dependence upon the Lord. It's all evidences of his grace. Nearly 20 years ago, if my memory serves me right, Heather and I had this uh, young single mom join our community group with her daughter. And then uh, later on, that, uh, that woman began to date this uh, handsome and gracious guy. And they started to get involved in our group together. And then we really saw spiritual growth take place in their life, baptism, repentance, spiritual growth. And we became dear friends with them. We got to celebrate their wedding. And then we, along with the church, walked with them through tragedy, heartache, and suffering, hospital visits, and the like. In the years that followed, and con they, they continued to grow in the Lord, and all along, Heather and I were, were casting this vision to them, saying, you, you get it. You get Acts 2. You get what it looks like to love the Lord and love people as a way of life. You get what it looks like to use your home and use your gifts for the strengthening of his church. Y you should consider being a, a small group or a community group leader. And the Spirit was at work, and Kevin and Christy Funk eventually stepped out in faith to lead a group to welcome others into their home so that others could get the opportunity to be the church. And these were close friends of ours. Like, I cried when they left. We'd frankly walked through rejoicing and grieving together, and while we have not been in the same formal group for many, many years, they remain close friends. Like hospital, ER, they're one of the first people I'm going to call. Because the group doesn't tie us. Christ is who ties us together. And because they were willing to follow the Spirit, so many have been able to be involved in their groups through the years. I would imagine well over 30 households, many of which have moved away to other states, far more than Kevin and Christy could have done had they stayed in our group 20 years earlier. And in this full, full circle moment for Heather and I, now our son and daughter-in-law, Eli and Hope, are part of their group. So they go long enough, and our grandson is going to be a part of their group. Like the older, wiser, you'll still be young, but maybe older. Our grandson will be older. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful in our present. The Lord is faithful as we look back in hindsight. And he'll be at work in the future. May the Lord cause the growth 
sending his servants out to create environments where the church can be the church, house to house, being devoted to teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, where the people of God might see the Spirit of God at work and generous love might be displayed through a daily way of life on a mission to show and tell of Jesus. A new community of people centered on Christ, proclaiming through our way of life that he is both Lord and Messiah. And that's what we'll do now as we break bread and remember the Lord's Supper. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to take communion with us. So we have three different stations. Uh, if you're in the back, back row back there, like Tazewell County back row, uh, you're going to be walking a little bit, but there's time, okay? There's, it's kind of by the speakers. There's three, and then there's one up here for the brave souls who want to walk toward the front. But um, let's stand up. The elements are together. If you're a follower of Christ, let's take communion together. Let's enjoy a time of prayer together as the people of God, and we will, have, we will enjoy the bread and juice together as one unified body of Christ. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. As we return to singing, we're going to sing one song, and this will also be our opportunity to give our offering. Where you got communion is the same place for where you can give your offering as the Lord leads you. Uh, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we love you, and we give you thanks for the work you have done and you are doing. We, we give you praise for the growth that you're causing. We praise you for how you've sustained your church over many years. May your name be honored as holy in and through this church. Lord, provide for your church and grow us in a spirit of generous love toward one another. Lord, form us through your word and spirit from one degree to another to be a reflection of you to the world. Grow our love for one another. May we love one another out of the overflow of the great love you have shown us. May our love for one another be a powerful witness to the world around us. Lord, add to the number daily those who are being saved. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Ephesians 2 says this. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you're also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. The Lord is faithful to continue and finish what he has begun in us and through us as his people. I'm grateful to be alongside you, church.